Sell your car the motorway way, where dealers compete to give you their best price. Dealers compete? Welcome to the Car Dealers Darts Championship. Dealer 5 throws a bid of £11,800. Dealer 23, £12,000. Dealer 40 throws £12,200. £12,200. No way. Yes way. Motorway, the way to sell your car. T's and C's apply. Visit motorway.co.uk. December 3rd, 1989. Fairfax, Virginia. Five-year-old Melissa Brennan attended a Christmas party with her mother, Tammy. She would leave the room briefly to get herself a plate of chips, and she never returned to her mother's side. No sign of Melissa has ever been found. And even though her abductor was arrested and served a lengthy sentence for her disappearance, her assumed murder remains unsolved. Her abductor now lives his life as a free man. This is Melissa's story. In 1989, Residents of a close-knit apartment community in Virginia gathered for a holiday celebration. For Tammy Brannan and five-year-old daughter Melissa, Christmas was always a special time. Then, without warning, the little girl was gone. Her disappearance ignited an impassioned search. Law enforcement and the local community spared no effort. But would they piece together the evidence and find her before it was too late? Melissa Lee Brennan was born April 13, 1984, to parents Tammy and Michael Brennan in Texas. Tammy really took to motherhood, and by all accounts, she was an amazing mother. Super sweet and caring, she loved Melissa more than anything. Unfortunately, in 1989, when Melissa was about five years old, Tammy and Michael would divorce, with Tammy being awarded full custody. Tammy and Melissa would move from Texas to Lawton, Virginia, moving into a two-bedroom apartment at the Woodside Apartment Complex, looking for a fresh start. 27-year-old Tammy secured a job as an accountant, which she worked around Melissa's school hours. She was fiercely protective of her only child, but the friendly family environment of Woodside made the mother and daughter feel safe and the weekend parties really enforced that sense of community. Tammy and Melissa were the happiest they had ever been in their new home. December 3rd, 1989 would be one of these parties. The Woodside Apartment Christmas Party held in the complex's clubhouse. Around 100 residents and employees would be in attendance. Everyone who was there had an amazing night, especially Melissa, with a yellow applique Big Bird character on the front, a blue and red plaid skirt, black patent leather shoes with gold bows and a pink hooded jacket. At around 10pm, Tammy told Melissa it was time to go home to bed. Melissa begged her mother to let her go for one more plate of potato chips, which Tammy agreed. So Melissa happily skipped off into a separate room where the food was being kept. This would be the last time Tammy would ever see her daughter. When Melissa didn't return after several minutes, Tammy became curious. Maybe the little girl got distracted with a neighbour or friend or by a song that took her fancy for a dance. 
but a search of the clubhouse turned up no sign of the five-year-old. Tammy screamed panicking, looking for help, and the Fairfax County Police Department were contacted. No one could recall seeing Melissa leave the party or anywhere near the front door. I'm Detective Wilden. This is Rappaport with the Richard Rappaport, the Fairfax Department search commander, joined Detective Wilden to organize the search party. He would head up the investigation. Does everyone understand? One of the possibilities, of course, was that she had just uh, hidden somewhere in the building, was playing with some friends, or had wandered off. So immediately the patrol officers on the scene did a very good job of searching the building, and they began a search of the immediate area surrounding the building. The night of December 3rd was a bitterly cold night in the Washington area. Uh, someone outside that was five years old without a lot of protection probably would not have survived uh, through the night. It was that cold. The police responded immediately and searched the clubhouse for Melissa, quickly finding the utility room window opened. This led to the initial theory that perhaps Melissa escaped through the window and into the cold winter December night. The hope was they would find her nearby and soon, unharmed but scared because she was lost. The very low temperatures would mean that she would not survive the night, so there was obviously some urgency in the search. When there was no sign of Melissa in the immediate vicinity, police were committed to finding her, and they interviewed more than 200 residents and employees that very night. Fairfax police knocked on every door in the complex, and they called all employees who lived off-site. Statements were taken, and the same name kept coming up, Caleb Daniel Hughes. At the party, he was not dressed uh, as well as the rest of the people. He wore his work clothes. Um, he mingled with some of the people he knew at the party, and he spent some time talking with Melissa's mother, uh, making comments about Melissa, and offered to take Melissa and a couple of the other children to the restroom if they needed to go. Sell your car the motorway way, where dealers compete to give you their best price. Dealers compete? Welcome to the Car Dealers Darts Championship. Dealer 5 throws a bid of £11,800. Dealer 23... £12,000. £12,200. No way. Yes, way. Motorway, the way to sell your car. T's and C's apply. Visit motorway.co.uk. He just had some very suspicious behaviour from a man of his age around the children. Caleb Hughes had a troubled past. He was brought up in an abusive and dysfunctional family. Hughes had a long history of alcohol and drug abuse. And at 24 years old, he already had a number of criminal convictions against him. They were mostly related to drunk driving and other driving offences. Most recently, he had served a year behind bars in 1986 on a stolen auto charge. The other four years of the five-year sentence were suspended. Hughes had only just started his job as a groundkeeper at the Woodside Apartment Complex, previously working as a motel clerk and a landscaper at other apartment complexes throughout northern Virginia. Hughes was a newlywed. He and his wife Carol married and moved to Woodside in the weeks before Melissa's disappearance. Attendees at the Christmas party would report to police that Hughes seemed very drunk, He was approaching women at the party and making sexual advances towards them. 
This happened to at least two women, and they of course rebuffed his advances. Party goers saw Hughes sitting and talking with Tammy and Melissa at one point of the party. When questioned, Tammy told police that Hughes made her uncomfortable, that he told the mother and daughter that Melissa was pretty, and he gave her a cupcake. This gave Fairfax Police their first lead, and they attempted to contact Hughes at his home, which was in Woodside, about 10 miles away from the Woodside apartment complex. But Hughes wasn't home, and his wife Carol didn't know where he was. Hughes would not arrive home until 12.30am, more than two and a half hours since he was last seen and since Melissa went missing. Carol told her husband that police were looking for him, that they were questioning everyone who was at the party about a missing girl. But instead of calling the police, Hughes took a shower and tossed his clothes and shoes in the washing machine. It wouldn't be until 1am that he would return the police's phone call, and then he drove back to the apartment complex for questioning. When questioned by police, Hughes denied seeing Melissa at the party, and he couldn't explain why it took him two and a half hours to drive ten miles home. But since police had no witnesses who saw him take Melissa, and no fingerprints to charge him with any crime, police were limited with what they could do. Hughes agreed to take a polygraph, but then refused to answer any of the questions, rendering the test useless. And when police flat out accused him of kidnapping the girl, Hughes replied, quote unquote, prove it. The police interest in Hughes was leaked to the media, and news crews from all over the state would park outside his home. It seemed Hughes almost reveled in the attention, and he would hold press conferences on his front patio, declaring his innocence. And as the sun came up, the, the search expanded uh, into you know, further down south on a highway. Uh, they sent soldiers out to do uh, uh, massive searches through the woods, along the railroad tracks. And, and as possible ideas of, of locations where she might have been were developed, again, um, hundreds of people were, were uh, gathered to search and walk those areas. Tammy fronted the media the next day, hands shaking reading from a piece of paper, her parents close by a support. Quote, She's all I have. Melissa, if you can get to a telephone, please dial our number like I taught you to and call home. We love and miss you very much. Please come back to us. Mummy's waiting. Unquote. Search efforts expanded to a 12-mile radius between and around the apartment complex and Hughes's home with the help of 300 military personnel. Police found a pair of adult footprints that led from an area near the utility room in the clubhouse to the parking lot area. This supported the police's new theory that an abductor took Melissa, that he put her in his car and drove her away, that it was most likely sexually motivated, and that Melissa had been raped and murdered soon after her abduction. The community really came together for Tammy and her family, though. Volunteers and friends of the family helped distribute 35,000 flyers in the Washington, D.C. area. 10,000 bumper stickers adorned cars and shop windows, reading, Bring Melissa Brennan Home for Christmas. Some local theatres played home video footage featuring Melissa, which is still available today online. It's heartbreaking to see, even now, all these decades later. 
Local businesses banded together to raise an $100,000 reward for Melissa's safe return. Police went back to the only suspect they had, Caleb Hughes. Carol Hughes gave them permission to search her husband's red Honda Civic he was driving that fateful night. The car was towed to the crime lab. Now, usually the forensic team uses a vacuum cleaner to collect any minuscule piece of evidence, but this wasn't an option here. Hughes's car was an absolute disaster. It was piled with trash and clutter and dog hair was everywhere. It made evidence collection near impossible. So police tried another method, luminol testing to see if there was any blood trace evidence in the vehicle. The luminol lit the car up, highlighting the driver's seat, steering wheel, foot pedals and floor mat. The forensic team collected samples from these places and sent them for further analysis. Now, unfortunately, these results would return as inconclusive because the samples weren't sufficient enough. The forensic team also used duct tape to collect hair samples from the seats, most being hair belonging to the Hughes' family dog. But the FBI technician found 50 blue acrylic fibres on the passenger seat. These were microscopically consistent with fibres on the blazer worn that night by Tammy. And the other blue fibres were consistent with the big bird sweater worn by Melissa. And then there were two rare rabbit fur hairs on the passenger seat, which were consistent with hairs on a coat worn by Tammy. And a blonde human hair on the driver's side of the car, which was similar to hair found in Melissa's hairbrush. Though it is important to note with the blonde hair that it's never been conclusively matched to the missing five-year-old. The FBI honestly went above and beyond to cross every T and dot every I in the forensic analysis of these fibres and hairs. The chief officer would publicly state they conducted around 8,000 tests to ensure the fibres were a match to Tammy and Melissa's clothing. This gave police reasonable suspicion to be granted a warrant to collect the clothes Hughes was wearing the night of the Christmas party. Even though he washed his clothes and his shoes as soon as he got home, they were hopeful there was something to be learned. And this came in the form of Hughes' shoes. When analysed, it seemed that Hughes had gouged a chunk of material out of one of the sneakers. The police were still able to lift some blood protein from the shoes. But unfortunately, like with the car, there just wasn't enough there to conclusively garner an accurate result from. Regardless, police still went ahead and charged Caleb Hughes with abduction with intent to defile, with the Fairfax County Commonwealth Attorney Robert H. Horan Jr. officially indicting Hughes to stand trial in November of 1989, and Hughes was released on bail in the care of his wife, Carol. This freedom would be short-lived, however, because in January 1990, Caleb Hughes would be found guilty for violation of his parole for the stolen auto charge. He was caught drunk driving, so it was right back to prison for Hughes, where he was ordered to serve the remainder of his five-year sentence in prison. The information provided in the ransom call was so vague and so generalised, it's entirely possible that the, the, the person who called <clears throat> may have picked up that information simply by watching the news or reading the newspaper. Uh, Usually if there's a ransom demand that is legitimate, they're going to have very specific information that would be known only to the abductor and probably some of the investigators. 
During all of this, Tammy was holding on to whatever hope she could. And then one day, about two months after Melissa went missing, Tammy received a phone call that made her stomach drop. It was a man, and he was saying that he had Melissa. But to get her back, Tammy had to pay a ransom of $75,000. And if she didn't pay this the next day, well, then Melissa would die. Even though unlikely, this did give Tammy some hope. But the FBI and the police tried not to let Tammy get her hopes up. The Forensic Files episode on Melissa's case does pointedly state that most strangers who abduct children murder them within three hours. And that was unfortunately the belief of the Fairfax police very early on in the investigation. The FBI coordinated the ransom drop, and the men who showed up to pick up the money were just a couple of stupid college boys. 20-year-old Emmett Greer and 24-year-old Anthony McRae. They were trying to make some fast and easy money. Ultimately, though, what they did end up with was criminal charges. In 1991, Greer would receive a sentence just short of four years, whilst McRae was seen as the mastermind behind the extortion plan, and he received seven years in prison. There has never been any evidence found that either man was involved in Melissa's disappearance. Tammy would front the media to support the Fairfax police and the FBI throughout this whole experience. Quote, The Fairfax police never cease to amaze me with their dedication to this case. What they're doing and what they've done all along, they've never stopped. Unquote. Because it's tremendously important that the family of that child had definitive answers, that they know what happened to the child, even if the news is not pleasant. They need to understand exactly with concrete information what happened to the child. They need to be able to have a closure. They need to be able to, to give that child the burial that they deserve and go on with their lives. Caleb Hughes would face trial in February 1991 for abducting Melissa. He would plead not guilty on all charges. Now, unfortunately, it was never an option to go for a murder charge, even though that's what Fairfax Police and the FBI believed what happened to Melissa. Because in Virginia... You can't go for a murder charge unless you have a body to do so. A primary witness for the prosecution would be Hughes' very own wife, Carol Hughes. You see, she didn't trust her new husband. She thought that possibly he had been having an affair, and she'd been keeping track of the miles he'd been doing in his car. On the night Melissa went missing, there were two miles unaccounted for, He had travelled 22 miles instead of the 20 miles that would have easily taken him to his job at the Woodside apartment complex and home again. After deliberating for about nine hours over two days, the jury returned a guilty verdict for abduction with the intent to defile. And in March 1991, the judge sentenced Caleb Hughes to 50 years in prison. This is in addition to the four-year sentence he was serving for auto theft – his sentence would have left him behind bars until 2041. Caleb Hughes was held in the medium security Dilwyn Correctional Centre, his inmate number 1058054. Now important to this story. You see, in 1991 Virginia, it had automatic parole laws. This would be abolished in 1995. But not only that... 
But 1991 Virginia allowed automatic reduction of sentences based on good behaviour during incarceration. That for particularly well-behaved prisoners, they would receive 30 days credit for every 30 days served, which essentially would potentially cut the prisoner's sentence in half. Thankfully, some sense was maintained, and the Virginia Parole Board did override the mandatory parole and rejected his application in September 2017. The reasons listed were the serious nature of his crimes and because Hughes was considered a risk to the community. Hughes would be declined again for parole in August of 2018. It's unclear if any of Melissa's family testified at either parole hearing. Now, unfortunately, Caleb Hughes would be released August 2, 2019, due to the mandatory good conduct allowance. He served only 29 years of his total 54-year sentence. This broke Tammy and her parents' hearts. Tammy could not bring herself to answer any requests for media interviews. But her father, Larry, would share the family's anger. Quote, What do you say? We are obviously extremely disappointed that an individual like this could be released from custody. He was not only involved in one of the most heinous crimes in this region, but he's someone we would be concerned is about to do this again. Unquote. It can't end because of the eternal hope, if you will, that someday this child that's never been seen, never been found, this child someday will, will appear. And that's, that's hard stuff. That is hard stuff. Caleb Daniel Hughes now lives in Lynchburg, Virginia, in a halfway house. Carol left him when he was in prison and they divorced. Since his release, Hughes has worked in a fast food restaurant, as a cosmetic manufacturer and for a job staffing company. Hughes is a registered sex offender and he must disclose this when he applies for jobs and housing for the rest of his life. Tammy has written to Hughes numerous times and asked him to tell her what happened to her only child but he has refused to reveal anything he may know. He still remains steadfast that he knows nothing of Melissa's disappearance and suspected murder. In 2003, Tammy and her family and friends did celebrate Melissa's far too short life. They held a memorial and placed a bench for her in a cemetery in Arkansas. Tammy has used her pain and grief to help others who find themselves in the same horrific situation as her. She volunteered with the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children to help other families in crisis. Tammy's father, Larry, also volunteered for various projects. Tammy went back to school and completed her MBA. She found happiness again. One evening at a karaoke club, Tammy met widower Leon Graybill. Tammy and Leon would get married, and Tammy became a stepmother to Leon's four beautiful children. And while Tammy would change her last name to that of her new husband, she is still listed as Brannon. Heartbreakingly, Tammy does this that Melissa can find her way back to her one day. Tammy's last media interview was in 2019 with the Washington Post, where she cried softly saying, quote, I miss my daughter every day. It's been 30 years. 
But that doesn't stop me from missing her. That's the not knowing what happened. There's the not knowing if she suffered, not knowing where she is, what she could have become, what grandkids I would have now. All these things I wonder about, at least periodically. Unquote. Melissa Brennan was five years old at the time of her disappearance. She was three foot and 38 pounds, with honey blonde or light brown hair and blue eyes. It's been reported on the Charlie Project profile that she had a burn scar on her right forearm. Melissa was last seen wearing a pink hooded jacket, a navy sweater, with a yellow applique Big Bird character on the front, a red and blue plaid skirt, red tights and black leather shoes with gold bows. If Melissa is still alive today, she would be 38 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Melissa Brennan, please contact the Fairfax County Sheriff's Department on 703 246 7800. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, Please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice, and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. your car the motorway way where dealers compete to give you their best price dealers compete welcome to the car dealers darts championship dealer five throws a bid of eleven thousand eight hundred pounds dealer 23 twelve thousand pounds dealer 40 throws twelve thousand two hundred i got twelve thousand two hundred pounds no Yes, way. Motorway, the way to sell your car. T's and C's apply. Visit motorway.co.uk.